This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong and you're tuned in to Barnan, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. For a couple of weeks now, one of the hottest talking points in golf was the proposed breakaway league called the Saudi Golf League. Backed by Live Golf, which in turn is financed by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia, aims to poach the best golfers under the PGA Tour, and the league reportedly offers larger purses, guaranteed payouts, 54-hole no-cut tournaments. A story that's not all different to last year's European Super League saga, the SGL had planned to lure golf's leading stars by offering shares of a gigantic £1.5 billion pot, with five future Ryder Cup captains allegedly sitting on £20 million signing on proposals. Since then, many of the golfing prospects have distanced themselves from the breakaway league after weeks of intense backlash. On the show this week, sports journalist Bob Holmes joins us as we ask if the Saudi Golf League is really dead in the water. Yes, Rory McIlroy no less says it's dead in the water. But of course, the Saudi League itself uh, claims otherwise. It's saying it's only just the beginning. But uh, I think it's the beginning of the end if not the end. I mean, when you don't get the players, you haven't got a tournament, have you? Mm. And they haven't got them. All the top players turn them down. So uh, I think dead in the water is a pretty accurate description. Mm. Um, And it it was a shameful episode not dissimilar to the Super League attempt at football, was it? (laughs) Although that didn't, um, as far as we know, have anything to do with Saudi Arabia. (laughs) Although there were were rumours that uh, some of the money was going to come from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the ESL one died pretty quickly, right? 48 hours and it was done and dusted. But this has been in a conversation for a couple of months now, if not been in the plans for about a year and a half or something like that, right? Yes, that's right. And there was another one, um, a, a rival Super League. I mean, that, that doesn't help matters, does it? When mm. you're trying to get a breakaway. Yeah, there was another one. Um, don't hear much about that now. And of course, this has been tried before by uh, no less than Greg Norman, yep. who was the front man for this. And he tried um, when he was still a, a, a top player about 30 years ago and that was called the World Golf Tour. And that uh, that promised fantastic money and all that, the usual thing. But again, they didn't get the players. This time, I mean, coming up a second time, this is a real blow for Norman because, um, I mean, he failed once and came back with even more money and bigger plans and he's still failed. Hmm. So you, th- you have to ask, where does he go from here? He's 67 now. He doesn't need the money, but um, he fancies himself as a, a sort of, uh, you know, uh, elder statesman of the game. And he feels that the player, believe it or not, I mean, you must have to be sitting down when you hear this. But he doesn't think the players are paid enough. <laughs> it's I mean, ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> every, every 
one of the top hundred is a multi-millionaire, some of whom have never even won a tournament, and they're multi-millionaires. Such mm. is the prize money. Mm. So um, not a lot of sympathy for either... Greg Norman or the Saudi Super League. Mm, yeah, Greg Norman is pretty much put himself out there, like you say, you know, elder statesman of golf, but also in a way an advocate of anti-PGA tour activists, right, of sorts. But on that point, you know, breakaway leaks, like you mentioned, nothing new in golf. But this um, episode, though, and this controversy seem to have create bigger ripples as compared to the rest. Why? Why do you think so? Well, they got a bit closer to um, pulling it off. I think that's the reason. And at uh, one point, uh, several of the, uh, of the top guys, uh, top 10, probably eight out of the top 10, looked as if they were going to join it. And it took a, a rear guard action by the PGA to stop them. Mm. I mean, the money was quite unbelievable. Uh, but, of course, the money is fairly unbelievable anyway. So I think that's why it failed. You know, um, I mean, when you start a breakaway, when you start a revolution and you're trying to draw people from some established um, norm, you've got to offer a lot of money, which they did. But to get them to leave what has been their bread and butter uh, for so long, uh, that has to be bad i think there has to be something wrong with that for them to jump and you know try something new and there was nothing wrong with the pga tour i mean it's a great organization a great setup and it it pays big bucks i mean you know there's no way that any of these players could plead poverty and, and say, oh, well, we know, we're not getting enough. We're going to join something else. So even though the money was actually higher, the idea of uh, going to something new like this and then with the, um, uh, with the reputation that Saudi Arabia has for human rights and, uh, and, what, and what have you, these guys were going to be tarnished um, and treated as mer not just mercenaries, mm. but seriously tarnished for going to uh, accept what many people consider blood money. So I think they came to their senses when the PGA Tour put it to them that they have a great future by sticking with the establishment. Mm. I mean, really, a lot of money is there for them. I mean, the, um, the, just to give you an idea how the uh, prize money has increased, uh, the tournament that finished today, this morning, mm. the Players' Championship, often called the fifth major, the uh, winner took home £2.7 million. Pounds. 25 years ago, when Tiger Woods made his debut, the total prize money was less than that. Mm. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 2.6 million. And I, I just like to say that they owe this and they admit this themselves. These players, they owe all this to Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is the man that caused the, the fantastic explosion in prize money. Yeah. And sadly, he's, um, it doesn't look as if he's going to be able to play at top level anymore. Mm. Um, on the point you brought up, Bob, you know, you say, you know, 
it's insane amount of prize money that's given to these golfers during tournaments. But one thing I want to put to you, Bob, is golf is in a very weird spot because players and golfers don't have guaranteed prize money, right? If you don't make the cut, you go home with nothing. That's right. I mean, I mean that's the the element of risk that's the jeopardy in this game and you do get uh, occasions when somebody just has a bad run and doesn't even make the cut for a long time you know yeah. so I, I guess it, from the player's point of view you can see the appeal of the SGL no? Well from that point of view yes they were not going to have any cuts and there was also going to be appearance money Yep. Um, I mean, not only do they get uh, a guaranteed prize money because they're going to finish the four rounds, but um, they get money for turning up as well. Mm. So it, I can see how it might have appealed to the older guys, guys coming to the end of their career like Lee Westwood, who's uh, 48. I mean, he said, um, if somebody uh, offered me uh, 50 million pounds now, you know, I'll snap their hands off. And um, he was one of the more enthusiastic mm. um, players. So, uh, and he was prepared to give up the um, honour of becoming the Ryder Cup captain for Europe, which was uh, he was pretty much a shoe in uh, to do to get that job. A much prized honour in sport. Mm. Um, he was pr- prepared to forego that, but now it doesn't look as if uh, it's going to happen. So he may well be the Ryder Cup captain. Yeah, yeah. And on that point too, you know, from the player's perspective, money for sure. But on the excitement and, and on a viewing experience, and I'm just right here, I'm just nitpicking at, you know, what the possible pros are for, for the SGL, right? So the SGL, pretty much an elite club, the best golfers go head to head to against each other. Do you think that that will give a better TV viewing experience and in a way, along the way, pick up new fans as well? Well, it would be slightly different, yes. I mean, you can always say something uh, as uh, established as the PGA Tour has perhaps got a little tired. Mm. It's the same format. Mm. Um, 144 guys line up, um, 72 uh, make the cut, and um, the prize money goes down to to them. But it's the tradition, I think, that holds it together – the idea of having these four major tournaments and everybody judges a player by how many majors he's won. So if you start mucking about with, uh, with the fixtures, um, there'd inevitably be a clash with the Saudi tournament, um, uh, with the major tournaments. Yeah. And if the top guys had gone to the Super League, the major tournaments would have been shadows of their former selves. It would have been would be won by somebody you'd barely heard of. It would be a second-rate tournament. Mm. And it would destroy that rich tradition that's been going for 100... Well, in the case of the British Open, uh, it's been going for 150 years. Mm. And uh, I don't think... I think golfers do uh, like that side of it, the, the traditional aspect. Mm. So when it comes down to the climax on a Sunday afternoon... I don't think there'd be much difference between this uh, Formula One uh, style format and the existing one. Mm. I mean, they're all they're going to be pushing for the the uh, top place. It's going to be the similar sort of drama on the Sunday afternoon. That's when most people watch. 
Um, so I don't see how they could have made it that much more exciting. Mm, yeah, I, I get your point. But, you know, comparing it to ESL, you know, this is pretty much a different case. Sure, kind of same sports washings happening, but instead of the club owners, it's the players themselves, right, that ultimately has the decision, makes the decision. Yeah, um, yeah it's very different in that regard. Um, I mean, it's worth noting that most of the players, most of the footballers were opposed yep. to the ESL. Um, it was the owners that were for it. Um, in this case, it's all about the players. There are no owners, of course. Um, but, I mean, these, these older guys, uh, there's a tour for them. They're, it's called the U.S. Uh, Senior Tour. And uh, they, um, they make a lot of money there. And because of these, the names, the names have been around like for 30 or 40 years. I mean, Jack Nicklaus was still playing in his late 60s and still winning. And people, some people would rather pay money to go and see the likes of uh, famous names like Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino, yeah. those sort of names mm. of the past playing on the senior tour. Um, so they, um, the, the Saudis didn't offer that, whereas the PGA offers all this, offers a future. You see, there was the risk of this thing folding as well. They're coming up with this fantastic money. Well, we know Saudi Arabia is very rich, and there doesn't seem to be much danger of them running out of cash. But you never know. Um, we live in a changing world. Um, politics might have had a hand in it, and suddenly the money would have dried up, and these guys would have, uh, would have had nowhere to go mm. because they would have been banned from the PGA Tour. That was sports journalist Bob Holmes as today we're talking about the possible ramifications of the breakaway league, the Saudi Golf League. More of that to come, so do stick around only here on Bar None on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, my name's Daryl Ong and you tune in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. This week on the show, we've been talking about the proposed Saudi Golf League, which aimed to lure PGA's top golfers to play in their own elite tour for, of course, an eye-watering amount of money. Sports journalist Bob Holmes joins us on the show this week and picking up where we left off, we asked about the possible ramifications of a divided world at the top level of sport. Well, a split in the, in the sport is never uh, a good thing, is it? Um, they, they usually come together in the end. I mean, you've got... Um, look, look at football. I mean, you, you've got a World Cup. There's only one World Cup. It's no good another confederation breaking away, falling out with FIFA over something, and then pretending they're having their own World Cup. It wouldn't be a World Cup, would it? Mm. Um, and uh, these the, the major tournaments are the top, are like like the World Cup. It's like it's like f four World Cups in a year, isn't it? Kind of thing, and everybody watches the b uh, best players in the world from all over the world come and play and uh, I don't really see very much wrong with that I think it's stood the test of time mm. and it's proved it by um, you know producing this weight of prize money mm. and the broadcasting revenues the crowds are still there uh, even after Tiger 
I actually feared for golf when uh, Tiger, yeah. Tiger had his accident. Yeah. But um, it's shown a resilience. It's not, uh, it's not longer Tiger dependent. We might have thought it was at one time, but it's not. It's got enough about it. There's enough players from different countries. I mean, you, you had uh, four very different uh, winners of major championships last year last year mm. um i mean it was a japanese winner hideki matsuyama um winning the masters you had a young uh, asian american colin morikawa mm -hmm. uh, winning the u.s open um then you had the american um bryson DeChambeau, the big hitter and you had phil mickelson yep. the grand old man so it was a a, a wonderful spread Great of story. characters yeah who won the four majors, mm. more than enough to maintain interest. So bringing these groups together, uh, bringing you know, just elite golfers together to play in their own breakaway league is, you know, again, sports washing, you know, paying huge sums of money to attract attention and legitimize your city and your country in the view of the world, right? And, you, and basically the point of that is to make your country and your city a major destination in the fastest timeline as possible. You've seen things like, you know, Saudi Arabia uh, taking over Newcastle, the World Cup this year is going to happen in Qatar. It has been working, right? Sports washing to some extent. Then? Yes, it does work. That's why they keep doing it. Vladimir Putin is the master of it. I mean, he uh, he pulled off the Winter Olympics in Sochi and then staged the World Cup football. Yeah, and this helped give Russia a uh, a softer image. Uh, people went there and uh, were, well, frankly, surprised at how nice the people were. <laughs> because Russia didn't actually have the best uh, PR, did it, um, for many people in the world. Yeah. And uh, they found out they're just ordinary people like, like everybody else in the world. And now you've seen how he's taken advantage of that, uh, lulled the West, anyway, into a false sense of security um sports washing definitely works i mean qatar it's put qatar on the map it gives uh, a legitimacy to a regime that wouldn't always otherwise get it, yeah. uh, it they've sponsored uh qatar sponsored P psg uh put them on the map and psg have put qatar on the map so it's worked both ways mm -hmm. yeah it works and uh it's uh, it has to be watched carefully. I think this because it is blatant sports washing. Mm. When you when you pump millions into into this from a, a country that otherwise would not be interested, like Saudi Arabia doesn't have any top golfers, Qatar doesn't have any top footballers. You have to ask, why are they doing it? Mm. And it's for the image of the country. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, for a long time, people tend to regard sport, politics and social development as separate. But in the recent years, it seems more apparent that it's increasingly intertwined, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even um, Gazprom, uh, that um, they were sponsors of UEFA, big sponsors of UEFA, the uh, Russian energy giant, um, also sponsored Schalke 04, the Bundesliga club in Germany. Yep. And you might wonder, why on earth is a gas company sponsoring football? Well, we know why. Um, it was the uh, Nord Stream uh, project, wasn't it, to supply gas to Germany. That was the reason. 
and um, Germany has now cancelled the uh, the deal mm -hmm. and is risking uh, not having enough uh, gas for its own heating. But over the uh, invasion of Ukraine, they've taken a stand and uh, they've stopped it and they've cancelled the agreement with Gazprom. I mean, how do you make gas supply sexy? Very <laughs> difficult, isn't it? You sponsor a football club and a football organization. I mean, that's that's what they did. Yeah. And it worked for a few years. Same with a fertilizer company sponsoring an F1 team, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but, Bob, do you think it's only a matter of time before this kind of breakaway leaks become a common fixture in, in sport? You know, greed rules at the end of the day when billionaires control the sport. It's bound to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, well, I think they can do it in other ways. Like, like I've said, I think there is um, value in the, um, the established calendar of sport. Um, everyone around the world knows where, where, when these games are, when these fixes are, whatever sport, like tennis, four Grand Slam events, they come around uh, like clockwork, don't they? And these are the targets, and they have been like for generations. And if you go and win something else somewhere else with big, big bucks, it, it doesn't have the value that these tournaments have. And when uh, these players are growing up, when they're, when they're kids and they're f first starting to show some talent, it's these established tournaments that they want to win. They, they dream about winning Wimbledon or winning the Masters or winning the World Cup. It's not some... A fancy creation that hasn't even been started yet but offers a lot of money hmm. so and there's enough money in top international sport uh, for um, players to have a, a worthwhile career and a very lucrative one at that without having to go to these breakaway things so if you want to break away you just you take away take over a, a club or something and um you know, have your fun like that, like these owners do. Some legitimate owners, mm. they just do it uh, for for fun. I mean, we were led to believe that Roman Abramovich did it for fun. He had all the money in the world, and uh, he came to football late. He was thrilled by the excitement of watching his first game and all that. And that's probably still true, but we also know that... Uh, he, the money was was dodgy, and uh, you know there was other reasons mm -hmm. for, for him to buy Chelsea. But um, I think owning a club it can give uh, a billionaire a lot of entertainment. Mm. Um, there's there's nothing quite like sitting up there in the director's box watching your team win a, a Champions League game or or something like that. That that is a thrill that an older person can have that he can't have on the field itself. Mm. Okay, back to golf and back to the SGL, right? Um, if it was a company, Bob, say, take Google, for example, if it was Google organizing this breakaway league, do you think it would have played out better? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? I think it possibly it could. Um, we'll never know how much the uh, Saudi reputation affected these guys um i mean we tend to think they're a, they've got a mercenary trait and it's solely about the money but i don't think it is entirely to be fair to them i mean they're not idiots 
um, and they think they would have had a few qualms about uh, taking this money. Uh, certainly when they read about 81 people being executed in a single day or um, the bombing of Yemen or the murder of Khashoggi, the journalist. Yes, I think they would have qualms. Um, so uh, uh, I think uh, Google, well, uh, there are people who don't like Google. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, uh, <laughs> they haven't done anything like that. Mm. So it might just have been a little easier had Google uh, mm. decided to back this. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, the, the leak's pretty much you know, day in the water, um, as Rory McElroy would say. But on to Phil Milkerson now, you know, he... he he got into a bit of a drama, right, um, as it was widely played out in the media. But he did backtrack, you know, he spoke of the PGA Tour's obnoxious greed. The same same case with UEFA, Bob. Um, is this a situation where you side with the lesser of two evils, you know? Has this saga exposed flaws in PGA Tour's own system? Well, um, no one really knows what Phil Mickelson was on about, to be honest. Um, he seemed to have a complete meltdown. And it's very sad, a year or so after he became the oldest uh, winner of a major trophy, mm-hmm. um, his, his stock has plummeted. Uh, he's taken a break from the game, and you wonder uh, where his head will be when he, when he tries to come back. Um, he had a grouse against the PGA, um, despite them providing this fantastic amount of prize money. He, he is saying they have something like $800 million in reserve mm-hmm. and the players should get that. Well, um, when, when the players sign up for a tournament, um, they're not asking for a chunk of that reserve, they're quite happy to take the prize money uh, that's on offer. And no one else has gone on about this. And I don't know what happened to uh, Phil Mickelson because he seemed to be the one, one of the leading lights uh, for this uh, Saudi breakaway and then backtracked and said, oh, he was only using it for leverage to try to get more money out of the PGA. Mm, yeah, that's a bit dodgy, that one. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you believe that, and no one did, of course, he was absolutely slaughtered on social media. Yeah. And he even resorted to blaming his biographer for misquoting him, the classic misquote, you know. So, you know, when, he, when you start talking like that, you, you, um, you know, he's, he's made a real the ricket of the situation but for an otherwise intelligent guy and a, a likable guy a very popular guy this was very strange and there are people who are a bit worried about him actually i mean he did seem to have a meltdown and he brought it on himself so his situation is a little bit a uh, little bit troubling Mm. Uh, lastly, Bob, where does the where does the PGA Tour go from here? You know, right now there are talks of trialing different formats. You know, planning to offer tournaments with guaranteed money. So even if you get cut, you do get money. Do you see more and more experimentations like this to accommodate to a golfer's demands? Yes, um, they may well try a few things. Uh, there are one or two tournaments that do um, don't have a cut even now. Uh, certain tournaments couple of three Mm. Um, and uh, they might increase that perhaps I don't see anything wrong with that but I think they 
as long as they don't make every tournament like that. I think this is the drama of golf, isn't it? And as I said before, there are guys who've never won a tournament who are multimillionaires. So, I mean, they can have a bad spell and not win any money, but they're not going to be poor. I mean, if you're a top golfer in the top 100 or even top 200, uh, you're not going to be pleading poverty. You're not mm. going to be going down the food banks or anything. Um, so they, I, I don't think there's a, a great need to mess around with it. The tournament is a little, uh, the calendar is a little crowded. I mean, they've really packed it. I mean, there's, um, yeah. the, you know, seasons even overlap, don't they? And uh, you've got different tours that, that clash inevitably. European tour as well. And then there's the Asian tour and Australian and Japanese and all that. But until recently, they managed to sort it out fairly well that you ended up with the top players playing in the top tournaments. So I don't think there's a lot wrong with it, quite honestly. I really don't. That was sports journalist Bob Holmes as this week we're discussing the Saudi Golf League, the proposed breakaway competition and its possible ramifications for the future. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's show. If you'd like to revisit that interview again with Bob, you can head over to our website, www.bfm.my forward slash bar none. And if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. My name's Daryl Ong and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week, only here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.